Hello, and welcome to the Inception Podcast. Join us bi-weekly as we explore the Young Composers Mentoring Program of the Los Angeles Inception Orchestra. Today, we're going to speak with mentor favorite, R&B singer, songwriter, and producer, Preston Scales. We'll discuss his journey from the church into the music studio, why he's so effective at relating to our students, and we are privileged to world premiere not one, but two of his latest singles. Preston, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you very much. So we met actually at the dance studio at Arthur Murray Beverly Hills, where you were an instructor and your now wife was my dance instructor. And I put her through a lot because I was learning (laughs) and (laughs) I was lumbering around the floor and you were off teaching women how to dance. I remember you turning women too, though. What I really enjoyed is that we have become friends over these years, and I always knew you did music. I knew you were an R&B singer, and so when the opportunity arose, this time in Inception, you came in and were a fantastic mentor to our kids. I know there might have been some questions around why I brought an R&B singer in, but we were talking about storytelling and creativity, and who better to come in than you? At the end of the day, it's all stories, and I actually tapped into the story part before I really knew what I was doing, which helped, actually. That's awesome. And so tell me how you got your start in music. It was as a youngster, and I imagine in the church. Yeah, most black artists, most R&B artists, I should say, um, we get our start in the church. And sometimes people expect us to stay in the church, but it evolves into something else. Just like Boyz II Men, all those guys, they all start in the church. Marvin Gaye. I would sing around the house a little bit. I was a kid. You know, my grandmother heard me sing and she said, look, I want you to sing that at church. And I said, sing it at church? And she said, yeah. I'm going to give you a song to sing, though. You can't sing what you're singing. She said, it's only six lines. It's called Smile. I said, okay. I do anything I can for my grandmother. And I know that if I'm in the good graces of my grandmother, I'm good. So I learned the song. I went to church. She bragged on me. I went out there. I sung. Now, by this time, I didn't have any type of stage fright or anything. I was just a kid doing what his grandmother wanted him to do. And I sung the song. And not only did I get an ovation, people started treating me a little different. I shook so many hands that day, more hands than I'd ever shaken. My grandmother was so proud. So I was thinking to myself, you know, this feels good. It was a feeling I had never felt before. And so as I got older, I started to sing more and sing more. And I started to get really, really good feedback. And I started going to talent shows. I, would, I started winning. I mean, I'm talking about I would go to talent shows and I'd sing when first and dance when second. It's really, really weird. As everything went on, as a teenager, I found a producer, someone who kind of knew me. He grew up in the church as well. And just like me, he played church piano. Obviously, gospel sounds different than R&B as far as uh, the chords and the feeling. So he's doing the same thing I did. So I went to school for a vocal performance, and I tried to learn more about the craft. And where did you go? I went to Middle Tennessee State University. And so you went there as a singer? Was that how you went? Or did you go as a songwriter? What did you do there? Uh, I majored in vocal performance. But also, once I got in my classes, my professor, he actually said, you need to go to songwriting class as well. And I'd never done it before, really. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Very, very young, I went to songwriting class. And I, and I started to understand the formula, how to put together a song. That's great. And what is the secret sauce? And how do you put together a song? Well, everyone has their own sauce. That's what makes it so cool. But there is a guideline that everyone follows. Like when a song's created, I'll just say this is how I create it. I create the chorus first, which is an issue. I I always start with the chorus because if I don't make a good chorus, if it doesn't move me, then the song's shot. So the chorus is the issue. The first verse explains how you got into the whole predicament. The second verse doubles down or how it could get worse. 
The bridge most of the time offers a resolution or some type of alternate route. And then at the end, you remind everyone of, again, the issue why we're all here in the first place. And that is pretty much how I was, how I constructed songs early because it was simple, direct. That's great. And you did your first song in high school? I did. And did you follow that formula? I did. Was it successful? It was until I realized there are other formulas. Like, for instance, one of the greatest songs ever written was My Girl. Smokey Robinson wrote that. And Smokey even said it's just, it's a descriptive song. All it is is just describing how someone makes you feel. So you can write songs like this, just describing how you feel. But most people that are good enough to write songs like this, they're very, very good with words. Yeah, we have this amazing opportunity to actually meet Paul Reiser, who did the orchestrations on My Girl as part of the ASMAC session. The American Society of Music Arrangers and Composers were lucky to be collaborating with them. Wow. So Paul Reiser was up and it was just such an incredible uh, thing. So tell me again the name of that song. I I remember you told me before and it was kind of funny. Oh, (laughs) my high school song. I was okay. Keep in mind, I was 16. And around that time, the first song I wrote was I Got Game. Because the one thing in college, my professor always told me, he goes, write what you know. He said, you can't write about love until you fall in love. At that point, I, I, I wasn't in love yet. So all I could write about was how confident I was in myself. <laughs> I mean, just like any kid, right? I'm, you're 16, you're like, okay. It worked out. I'm really good with um, melodies and harmonies. Nice. So what I got game lacked in substance, it made up sonically through my voice and the different harmonies and tonality. Very nice. So from college, Middle Tennessee, how did you go from there into your R&B career? What was next? Well, as I got out, it was kind of easy because I had friends that can, my producers were my friends and the other singers were my friends. Like we all knew who, who each other were. So we knew what circuit. Nashville at the time was really about country music. It wasn't very kind to R&B artists. So it was almost mm-hmm. like we had like a chitlin circuit. So to speak, you had Music Row and all the big country acts. It was just this subculture of R&B acts working the small clubs in the circuits. And that's how I got familiar. And that's kind of how it all started because you work the crowds you learn who everyone is, and most importantly, you learn how you affect them. I can tell you my first show, five people came to. My second show, 25 people came to. And these are small little clubs. My third show, 55 people. You understand the circuit and everyone that is in it. And people that are in the circuit say, hey, I got finished performing at this place. I'm going to ask for you to come next week. So that's kind of how it started. That's awesome. So you were in Nashville doing these clubs, building a following. Yes. And then somehow you came to LA. Tell me about that. It was time for a change. I realized that, you know, when you're in the same spot, there's so much opportunity. So I realized Los Angeles, New York, Miami, I just told myself I needed to be in a different place. So I'll get more of an opportunity. So it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. I was afforded the opportunity to to move because of my ballroom dancing. At that time, I was doing both. I was teaching ballroom dancing and I was singing. And the lady that was running the studio, I was the number one teacher there, but she realized that a lot of things were different, if you know what I mean. This is Tennessee. So she immediately recognized that. And she said, if I could get you out to Beverly Hills, would you go? And you're singing, so you need to go out there. Two months later, I'm in LA. Amazing. And I remember when you first came into the studio, that was quite awesome. I think all the Beverly Hills, the socialites were super excited to see you show up. You know, they never, they never scared me. I ran into that crowd like I knew those ladies. It was almost like a strange welcome home in some weird way. <laughs> so once you got to LA, what happened with your music career? 
when I got to LA, I had to re, I had to find my footing again. So I was working with the people I was still working with in Tennessee, but um, I had to find new people. I had to find a new vibe. I found my guy. I was lucky because it took me only two years to find him. So I work exclusively with just one main engineer and I, I rotate around three producers. The circuit in LA is a little bit different. Um, you have to be more available because they'll call you at any moment. So I got called for shows. I just changed a couple of engineers, kept my producers because I felt like my producers knew my sound and knew me. So that was really the only thing that changed. If you notice, a lot of singers, when they have a producer, just like um, we can go back to Genuine and Timberland, Michael and Quincy, Michael and Teddy. When you find someone, you find a producer that, or an engineer that knows you, you kind of stay with them. Right. So while you were doing this, I remember that you got the Dangerous Tour. Yes, yes. When I first came here, one of my friends actually from Nashville, she was in the music industry. She was managing. She said, look, I want to manage you. If you're out here, oh, I got, I have to manage you. So one of their suggestions were that I just get on YouTube and just sing, you know, sing off something, sing behind something, sing instrumentals. I wasn't too in love with the idea, but at the time I was brand new and I needed to get out there. So I did some Stevie covers and I did a couple Michael covers. I did Human Nature. At that time, the timbre in my voice, I sounded a lot like Michael Jackson, and I knew this, so I could actually make myself sound even more like Michael. So while I was singing Human Nature, not only was I singing Human Nature, I was trying to sing it like Michael. I didn't sing it like myself. Three weeks later, I get a call from someone that says, hey, I had to find you. And I'm like, how did you know where I was? He's like, I found you. And he's like, I have this tour. And then he was telling me about the tour, and he goes, I'm going to fly you out. We're going to try you out. I'm like, all right, fine. Now, what he doesn't know is I'm a studio singer. So he said, look, I'm going to take you to the studio. We're going to try to record a song. You got to do a whole lot of background vocals. It's going to be a lot, but it'll be fine. Once I got in the studio, I'm at home in the studio. I'm great at background vocals. I've been doing it ever since I was 15. The rest is history. So those were some big shows out in Colorado, I believe? Yes. The biggest show I'd ever done. I remember distinctly one of the background singers. He's like, hey, let's go out and check out the line. Well, I'm so used to the Chitlin circuit. I'm so used to maybe six people being out there. This line, Akira, wrapped around the building. The show was sold out. It was the first time that I'd ever just got met with complete positivity. I'm not in Nashville anymore. That is crazy. I remember when you first came back from that. Oh, you were so pumped oh, and excited. I, felt I, was, I was so legit. It was so good. That tour, though, a couple of things happened. We were supposed to get, there's a Michael Jackson show in Vegas right now. We were supposed to be that. Well, I'm going to say that your life turned out pretty well. Oh, yeah. It, it turned out great. My life turned out great. And I get to do my music. But sometimes when you have something, even if I didn't want to do it, if someone says, hey, man, you guys just got signed to Vegas, I would have had to go. Well, we would have missed you. <laughs> I would have come back. I'd have heard about Inception and you. I'd have come right back. <laughs> well, fortunately, this year we were all virtual. So, you know, that's great. So after the Dangerous Tour, mm -hmm. you got back into the studio and you were recording some songs. So tell me what's, what's been happening since then. Okay. After the Dangerous Tour, I was revitalized. Okay, by, by studying Michaels, and I had to study his music to understand the sing, when to go in, when to go out. And I was just so ready. I was so ready to go back to writing my own stuff. I learned so much with the arrangements, everything with his music. I actually applied it to my stuff. So I'm like, okay, I have to finish this album. As it started happening, you know, the world changes and it's about singles. So I start right. releasing singles. I'm currently now working on two albums, still releasing singles from those albums, but I'm working on both of them at the same time. Why are we the doing two? Okay, that, that, that's a good question. The purpose of doing two is sometimes when, you, when you're with a producer, they can hear certain things in you that you don't necessarily hear. So I was working with producers that said, hey, I want you to try this. I want you to do this. Put your thing on this. Put your thing on that. A lot of input, which is I welcome input. That's one of the reasons why I love the Inception, the mentoring, because input is so important. So there's one album dedicated to all the input 
and different producers and ideas and me being utilized in certain ways. The other album is just mine. My thoughts, my arrangements, my writing, me everything. Because at the end of the day, as an artist, I have to make an album that is just completely me. I get that. Yeah. So excited, Preston, because you are world premiering not one, but two songs for us tonight. And I thank you so humbly for sharing these with us. The first one is called Can't Hardly Wait. Yes. If you could tell us a little bit about that. The simplicity of a song, the simplicity of a message to me has always been important. If someone has to double back and explain things, then maybe they should have rethought the whole way. So Can't Hardly Wait is pretty much just the feelings of being in love for the first time or being in a relationship for the first time and just wanting to see that person again. It is as simple as that. And what I did was I just described how this feeling almost overtakes me. Amazing. And here is the world premiere of Can't Hardly Wait. About that girl, yeah. It's almost always been because of It's like nobody really now And I can't never get real love now These the pictures ain't enough now This ain't a substitute for love But I've been here all weekend I don't think I'll be leaving Cause I haven't been sleeping Cause you made me believe And I'm starting to see it Shit damn, what a weekend Cause this one has a meaning and up from the ceiling Cause I'm feeling the feeling It feel like mm, 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 mm. I can't wait, I can hardly wait for this feeling uh. I can't wait, I can hardly wait for next weekend Friday I'm in the road, but yep I'm pulling up Should just be a vibe, yeah Cause see, I do this all the time, yeah That Rolly watch costs like a timeshare So I can never share my time But she drip like me, she quick like me She hid in the six like me She don't need no like me Not a like me So the chick's trying to be kindly But I've been here all week I don't think I'll be leaving Cause I haven't been sleeping Cause you made me believe it Start to see it, shit damn, what a weekend too. Cause this one has a meaning and up from the ceiling Cause I'm feeling the feeling It feel like mm, 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 yeah. I can't wait, I can't wait for this feeling uh. I can't wait, I can't wait for next weekend I'm pulling up in love with what you're doing yeah, I can't get enough And I can't, and I can't I can't hardly wait I can't wait, I can't wait to come through, yeah I can't wait, I can't wait to see you, yeah I can't wait, we go Friday, I'm not going to wait I'm pulling up in love with what you're doing I can't get enough and I can't 
Preston, amazing. Thank you for sharing the song. That was so great. Um, Thank you for playing. Thank you for playing. uh, No, this is the best. And if you're listening to this, we are in July of 2021. Preston is going to be the featured mentor at a masterclass on our August 7th culmination event for this cohort. Preston, the kids love you teaching. And I was wondering if you could get into talking about your method of teaching and describing emotion to these kids and why they relate to you so much. You are their favorite mentor. Every time that we do a survey, you come up at least one of three and you're on everybody's survey sheet. It works for me. So t- <laughs> no, 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 more than that. So <laughs> tell us what it is. How do you relate to kids so well? and how you teach them and communicate so effectively. Okay, well, the reason I relate to kids very well is because I was teaching kids ever since I was a kid. I was in school and I taught kids while I was in school. They had to sign a waiver so I could get paid for it. So I understand kids. I've worked with kids for a long time. And when describing things and how to work with kids as far as um, expression, I like to go with colors. Kids are visual. So I like to put a color to a certain feeling. When I write, when I'm singing a verse, I ask myself, what color is it? If I'm singing the bridge, what color is it? And do the colors coordinate? For instance, I use blue, sad. I'd use pink for happy, believe it or not and red for passion. So I figured out how to make these color distinctions. And when I make the color distinctions, I actually sing the emotion better because I'm not focused on the words. I'm actually just focused on the colors. And I try to make that color with my voice, if that makes any sense. That's always been my method. You actually taught one of our kids, Angela, at the last event we had at a master class. So we're going to play a clip of that right now in using this color palette formula. Blue? And you want me to sing something? Yeah, I want to I wanna feel the blue. Okay. And then I want you to tell me what the blue represents. That was great. What does it represent? tired and sad and just kind of like overwhelmed of the mm-hmm. feeling it's mm-hmm. not really sad in the moment but it's what i was hearing because i had some like happy notes in there but it was just kind of like letting it go i have to accept that um i'm sad and i have to accept that this happened exactly all right so if you're listening to this in july of 2021 we are Super excited that Preston is actually going to be our featured mentor at our August 7th culmination event, and we'll teach a master class, probably again about colors in the voice, but it's such an effective lesson, and we're so excited to have you there. Tell us about your next song you're going to play for us. It's called Problem, and I'd love to hear about that. Yes, I was thinking about how to describe this song. When I was writing it with my producer, his name is Rioville, the first couple lines of the song dictate what the song is about, actually. You've got your nine to five. Just living for the city. You want to feel alive, you got to chase the feeling. That's pretty much what the song is about. I can relate. I think a lot of people can relate. Exactly. That's pretty much what the song is about. Here is, again, Preston, thank you so much. And here is the world premiere of Problem. You got your nine to five, just living for the city. You want to feel alive, you got to chase the feeling. You want that mountain high, the sound is so appealing. You can't wait for the night. So you can grab the ceiling no. Don't you, don't you, don't you wanna Don't you, don't you wanna Go a little crazy tonight Don't you, 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 don't
living all wrapped up Feeling like you're stuck You gotta get there Somebody, Somebody fix the knob Turn it up, up Working like a job Now it's a problem I came here to start one Let my tap run Had the most fun It's a problem My frustration Think you should come with me And jumpstart this vacation Girl, I can bring the heat Just like your favorite station Here's where you gotta be The end of conversation Don't you, don't you wanna Wanna go Don't you, don't you wanna Go a little crazy tonight Don't you, don't you You've been all wrapped up Feeling like you're stuck Don't get out of Somebody Somebody break the knob Turn it up, up, working like a job Now it's a problem, I came here to start one Let my tap run, had the most fun It's a problem, yeah amazing thank you for sharing the song that was so great would you like to just tell us to wrap up why you're so involved in inception and what you think of the program i'm involved with inception because uh, akira put a gun to my head and he made me i'm playing <laughs> i'm just playing i'm playing uh-huh. honestly i remember in the studio in the, in the ballroom studio a gentleman that said something very poignant to me. He said, to not use the gift is to dishonor it. To not share the gift is to dishonor it. So we're given the gift, 
So it's our responsibility to pay it forward. We have to pay it forward. If we don't pay it forward, we weren't, we were never worthy of the gift anyway. It's as simple as that. I completely agree. And I thank you so much. You do such a terrific job with our kids. Every time you're in, I know they're always excited when you're on the program to come mentor. We're excited to have you on August 7th. Preston, I want to say thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way they find you? Instagram at Preston Scales. That's where I do most of my interaction. So that's where you'll find me. In my stories, you'll see links for new music and everything else. That's where you'll find me. Very, very cool. Well, Preston, it was great to talk to you on tonight's podcast. Thank you so much. We are looking forward to seeing you on August 7th and hearing more music from you. Thank you very much, Akira. And and again, Inception, since I've joined the Inception family, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. I look for more mentoring, more years to come. We would love to have you every single time. Thank you so much, Preston. Have a great one. Thank you, buddy. We hope you will join us on Saturday, August 7th, 4 p.m. Pacific and 7 p.m. Eastern for a celebration of our cohort that composed all the way through the pandemic from March 2020 through August 2021. Preston will return for another brilliant masterclass and will be featuring our partners, the Classical Sax Project, and a special showcase of the American Society of Music Arrangers and Composers, ASMAC. If you're interested in composing, our cohort resets itself in September. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, the Inception Orchestra Young Composers Mentoring Program, in partnership with ASMAC, is funded by grants from organizations such as the Los Angeles Central City Optimist Foundation and generous donations from friends, family, and listeners like you. Please check us out on www.inceptionorchestra.org. Thanks, everybody. Feeling, feeling, they feel like